Welcome to the Body Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara. You can expect new episodes each Wednesday that are educational, inspiring, and honest surrounding various women's health topics, spirituality, and so much more. The Body Wisdom Podcast was brought to life by integrating the physical and emotional body to deepen one's healing journey. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Body Wisdom Podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode. We're here with my mentor um, inside of the the pause breath work facilitator training that I'm going through right now. Um, Her name is Tracy, and I feel like I've just learned so much from you in such a short span of time, and I'm just so grateful for you and your, your fierce love that you have to give to us. Um, so Tracy, welcome. Hi, thank you. I love that. I had to let that fierce love land because that really (laughs) does is a good descriptor of how (laughs) I show up in the world, right? That, that there is strength and a loving presence and that there is care and compassion and also, um, discernment and, uh, and, uh, structure and some, some discipline to it as well. I love that. Yeah. Fierce love. Yeah. I will, I will, I will go to war for anybody. For sure. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it. I, I know you're rooting for us and you're here to help us every step of the way. And I truly feel held. And I think that's just like starting with that, like, it's so important to feel safe, to be able to release and, and have that communication with someone as we move through like our own traumas, our own activations and whatever's coming up for us. I think being held in a container and supported by someone is like, I mean, as you say, like one of the most important pieces of this process. So, um, I'd love to know a little bit more about how, you started cultivating that, like, how did, how did you start creating safety for yourself? And then how were you able to, um, start helping others feel safe as well? Yeah, it's such a, it's such an important piece. I think the, the foundation to do anything, to create, to move, to speak, to, um, communicate, to share, to heal is that safety. Like it's absolutely paramount to start there, uh, because it's the only, it's the only foundation that can hold the weight of, of processing and experiencing life. And it's often the first thing that is, uh, annihilated when we experience trauma or, um, loss or grief, it, it shakes the foundation in which we stand on. Mm-hmm. The issue is that we, we notice the foundation of our safety shake and then we ex- still expect ourselves to know the path and the way, you know, there isn't that, that stop and check and say, okay, how can I create 1% more safety in this moment? And so for me, it came out of a space of living a life that was completely unsafe for, for de- decades. You know, I, I was, I had diff- a lot of difficulty in my childhood, a lot of uncertainty and safety growing up, never really anchoring to what was safe, you know? Uh, and then being in an abusive relationship, uh, for, for a long time, seven years, 
and 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 really starting to recognize that everything in my life was was fragile it was like a built like a card house you know a house of cards and i had to to start implementing that and it really required me to go in and recognize the ways first that i annihilated my own safety right that i put myself in situations that weren't safe just because they felt familiar mm. and and pulling myself out of what felt familiar and creating a new normal. And so that meant saying no to a lot of things. It meant, um, you know, getting out of the environments that were not safe. And I couldn't do it all at once. You know, like I buried myself in work because work I could be successful at. And I, and you know, did that. I'm gonna hide here and work because it's safe if I'm working this many hours. But it was piece by piece you know, creating safety in each micro moment and then checking throughout the day where it didn't feel safe and getting really real about the ways that I, that I gave away the power to, to shore up my own safety. Yeah. Nobody can take from you what you don't in some ways give, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'd say that tenderly because violations and traumas and things that happen to us, it's not like we ask for those things. Right. And, um, you know, there is, for me, there was responsibility on my part where I, yes, something happened to me and I had no control or say that I did not do anything to create that. There was nothing wrong with me that brought that into my life. Right. But then getting out of it or after a bad situation that you have no control over that did you did not ask for how you continue to perpetuate the self-harm and lack of safety in your own life. Mm -hmm. right? So, so taking that, that self-interrogation and really getting responsible for myself, mm -hmm. uh, right? Like I say all the time, what happened to you, to me is not our fault. Yeah. And my healing is my responsibility. Mm, I love that. That's so beautiful. And it's, and it feels unfair. It feels unfair, but sitting in the, the unfairness and the injustice of it doesn't create change. So we got to hold that and still work towards our, our well-being. Yeah. And there's a grieving with that, right? Like a Always. grieving for what we didn't receive when we were children. That's, yeah, I mean, um, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that's like also like part of the trauma. Like it's not everything that happened to us, but it's also what we didn't receive. Yeah. There's acts of omission just as much as there's acts of commission of mm -hmm. trauma, right? Something that can be committed, but also the things that were omitted. Uh, Francis Weller talks about the five gates of grief in his book, um, The Wild Edge of Sorrow. And one of those gates is what we what we were meant to receive and never got the missing pieces, the people, right? Like something happened to me, but also that the people that didn't protect me from that something that happened to me, myself included, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and taking a beat on that and going, okay, so I didn't protect myself, but interestingly enough, I didn't learn how to protect myself. So looking at the grief of not being not being held in that way as, as a young person to know how to protect myself. What does real, true, clean, sovereign protection look like for self? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And it seems like a lot of this just really begins in childhood, right? So how, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but like, how do we even begin that reparenting process for that little girl, little boy within us? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's very, very layered. Inner child work is extremely important and it is not like, I have to always say that disclaimer, right? Your parents could have done the very best they could. And human people, human bodies are messy and we get it wrong a lot of the time. Myself as a parent did a lot of it. Like some days I just did good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not about, um, being disparaging or bringing down or, or finger pointing or blaming parents or anything like that. It's about saying that that's regardless. And I, there was still a miss for me. There was still a miss in, in my upbringing. And it doesn't even necessarily mean your parents, right? Some people grow up with amazing parents and there's still a miss for them. That we have to have to make first step is like making room for that as an absolute truth in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any trying to deviate from that or to skirt around it or not admit it as a truth is incomplete in our work. And so, uh, and then it is, it's, it's really a, you know, how would you, it's very basic. How would you approach a three-year-old that didn't know you from Adam? If you haven't connected with your self as a younger version of you, if they haven't experienced you as coming in and being supportive and safe and, and the parent they always needed, mm-hmm. how would you start that conversation? You're not going to rush up and be like, I demand that you connect with me. You know, any of those things, they're going to run the other way. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's meeting a child, just how you would want to see any child in the world be met, regardless of what you got, which that can be, there can be grief there as well, Mm -hmm. right? There is a grieving when we see even our own younger self being met by ourselves and and recognizing the gap in what we deserved and what we got Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. honoring all of those layers, remembering that three or five or 13 year old grief is, is, is that age appropriate grief, you know, and it's, it doesn't have to be, it can feel overwhelming because it's been bottled up for years and years and years, but remembering that this isn't the grief of that we would experience now in that type of loss with all that we understand and know it's a level of grief that a five-year-old would experience. And they still know how to process emotions within seven minutes or five minutes or three minutes, you know? So it really is just attuning to those needs and what comes forward. Inevitably, when I am working with somebody on their inner child, whoever comes forward, whatever memory pops up, that's the, that's the one that, that we can account. Well, I won't say it's the first one. The first one is usually the protector of the one that can help us, the (laughs) one that can guide us, the one that can remember. So it's usually you get like, there'll be a five-year-old kind of energy there. And then there'll be a 15-year-old that's like, yeah, you, no, 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 you got to earn rights to this situation, you know, kind of blocking. So you'll, you'll have those experiences where there'll be like this angsty teenager, this moody booty, you know, that kind of almost block 
like doing the work, uh, but they just are there to protect the little one that that was needed to be protected uh, that created these these older wounds in the first place. Yeah. So it's it's different for everybody. The the point is to just start, just start connecting, just start noticing, doing activities. You know, when was the last time you like just danced? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you went outside and blew bubbles? Oh, I love when was, that. Right? When was the last time you grabbed a hula hoop or or got some like I used to love transformers as a kid. I just <laughs> was fascinated by them. So going and buying like a little transformer and just playing with it and being, you know, like using your hands to connect with, with yourself at that level and just following what comes up. You don't get to dictate. You don't get to demand. You don't get to have a timeline, which, you know, all those, the people that want to like do it to get done with it, will have, they'll get stuck here be like, ah, this doesn't work. I'm giving it up, you know, (laughs) but it's just little bits at a time. It's showing that you're here to understand it's showing to this little one that you're safe. It's showing that you, they will be protected in your presence mm-hmm. and that they, that they will, they will get to stay with you. That's the other thing that you're not going to shove them back in the past and forget they existed when you're done. Yeah. I can so relate to having like from an outsider's view, the most perfect childhood. I mean, mm-hmm. I, grew up in a stable household, had a mom and a dad and a brother. I mean, if anything, we were the only family left within each of our lines that, um, were still married. I still had married parents. And I was like, yes, like I hit the jackpot. Like our family is perfect. And we had like all of these family get togethers and stuff, but there was still something that was missing. And it wasn't until I realized like, oh, our connection's not really there. We do a lot together. We read a lot of the doing, but there wasn't a lot of connection there, but no one saw that from the outside. And I didn't even realize that until I was older. And I was like, there's something here. And it really wasn't until I started becoming aware of like the inner child and trauma and stuff like that, that I started diving deeper into that. So one of the things that I actually uh, she's not on my desk anymore, but I had a picture on, um, of myself as a baby, as a two or three-year-old. And I would just check in on her, like, oh my gosh, like, how is she doing? And I would, I put my hand on my heart and I just kind of like rub myself. And I'm just like, like, especially if I'm activated or something and I'm moving through something like, what do you need right now? And I, for me, it's like sweet girl or baby girl, or like, what do you need right now? Mm -hmm. Just like in that tender, sweet voice, because that is what she needed. That is what she needed. And sometimes it's like a hug or a a bath, or maybe she just needs to scream or just throw a temper tantrum (laughs) for Mm -hmm. just a moment. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that part of me was also shut down, you know, as a child, like it's it's really a big feeling. Yeah, it's really important to connect like and remember we're going into their experience, not the other way around, because it is us and we have to connect with the energy that we were at that time rather than the memory of that time, because the memory is what lives in our head currently, but the energy still lives in our body of, of what we experienced. Um, so like, that's the whole point of somatic experiencing breath work, things like that, where you actually activate the energy in the body and bring it forward. So oftentimes when I'm doing inner child, I'll do like a energetic connector type meditation first, where we connect to the energy rather than just thinking about a memory of it. 
uh, but it's really important. I, you know, one of the one of the easiest catches for me is, um, you know, we all go to our phone, right? Like that. That's such a beautiful distraction device. Can be devastating at the same time. So I put my screensaver when I open my phone is myself as a little girl. How many times do you open your phone, right? And like that, it gives me pause. What are you actually doing here? Have you connected with your inner child today? Because unless you have, you don't get to scroll on any of these apps you have. Don't check your email. Don't like she is the one that 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 matters first and foremost, right? And it's that constant check for me, that reminder. And I want to say here too, because this is really important, um, that if you didn't identify as a she, then offering connecting with they, mm-hmm. right? If your child doesn't feel like a gender, then honoring that. Another thing is people's names. Mm-hmm. I read something yesterday that said, your name is a gift given to you that you should feel free to return if it doesn't fit. Mm. And I think so many of us, right? That's one, one um, way in like people with chronic pain that I've worked with before. One way in is often like if they identify with their name using that and if they don't picking a name that they would like to be called, right? Allowing your inner child to decide and when you're in a pain body, you can't just go straight into the body. It's too dangerous. It feels, it, it, everything hurts. Why would I go in there, right? And so we'll use the name, saying their own name and hearing their own name said to find the place where, the, where hearing that name resonates because that place often doesn't have pain connected to it, right? It's like a truth separate of the pain body. And it's like a door in to use our name or uh, whether it's given or one we choose, right? That's another thing to consider when you're going in is, is that it's not, it doesn't have to be what you got. Mm. Wow. Thank you for saying that. Cause I actually work with a lot of clients with, with fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis, like just, or the simple is like painful digestive issues or yeah. And it's hard to be in their bodies. Like they don't, I'm like, you gotta be in your body and like <laughs> breath work and all this stuff, like emotions. And it's like, yeah. how, where do they even begin? Like with the breath, for example, Yeah. Well, and with that specifically, you've really got to cater to that because, um, if there is chronic pain or, or, um, concern in the body that way, it can be really traumatizing or re-traumatizing to just get in your body. Right. Like, especially if you didn't learn it was safe there, for example, for me through my abusive relationship. And then after that activation warning, when I was raped, right, I had learned how to disconnect from my body to live solely in neck up area and not feel what I had to turn off my body to survive what was happening to me. Mm -hmm. So to send me straight back into my body is not, is not, um, it's not kind. It's not compassionate. It is not safe. It is not trauma informed you know, to, to just push somebody back into that space, but we can start to slowly bridge it, right? What you learned in, in the pause technique is about like titration. And you you hear this word, it's starting to pop up in more and more places that we slowly invite the body in. So right. Using the name is one way you can go in because the name was given before the pain started. 
So oftentimes having a thing to refer back to takes us to a place in the body that's untouched by that. And it doesn't always work, right? That's that nothing is a hundred percent. This will work for sure, but it's, it's a starting point. Do you, do you identify with your name and then having them close down their eyes and feel their name, hear their name, uh, say their own name, and then finding where that resonates in their body, where do they feel called from? when they hear their name. And most people that I've experienced anyways, have been able to find a place in their body that actually doesn't hurt. And we check, is it safe to be in this space? Is it safe to go in here, right? And just going as slow, pacing it, how they're ready, when they're ready, as they're ready. And it might, it might take 10 tries. It's not a loss. 1% is 1% at a time. Yeah. How did you find breath work? I, um, so it had been kind of popping up in my ethers, you know, when I would, uh, I was, I was doing uh, trauma certification and probably about a year before I had taken it with Sam Skelly. Um, and she happened to be featured on uh, a podcast of somebody else that I already followed. And it was the first time that I actually did it all the way through, right? That I didn't, uh, I guess those other times my body wasn't ready. It just would kind of block it. I'd do it for a few minutes. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I don't really feel it. That didn't work for me. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and there was something about uh, her guidance that allowed me to, to go a little deeper, a little further than I had before. And it was very transformational. It was very impactful. And it, it, be, it was like a beautiful offering of the type of medicine people need who do experience trauma. So coming off of all of that deep trauma work and, and learning and embodying it and integrating it into my practice, it became like this beautiful antidote offered as one modality to help people with trauma heal. Mm -hmm. And it started with me and I had to really do the work myself before I could try to give it to anyone else. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it was a beautiful, a beautiful offering. Now I've been meditating for 20 years. So I had already, um, I didn't necessarily, I mean, I've, I don't, don't get me wrong. We all deal with the monkey mind, right? I didn't not deal with that, but I had gotten to the point where I, I could sit with monkey mind and not feel like it was a failure in meditation. I taught meditation workshops and things like that. So, you know, already being a coach doing, you know, meditation for years, I taught yoga for years. Uh, it, it was just like a seamless fit. It was just the piece that I had been missing and it really, um, amplified my transformation. And then everybody that I, that I was able to help from that, help them, help them, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my goal. It's not me helping. I'm aligning myself and I keep myself, my energy centers cleared so that I can, that I can be of service to other people. It what comes through me. My work is not I'm giving this to you. It is keeping myself clean so that it can move through me. Mm, yeah. And I want to be really clear that that doesn't mean I get it right. Or I sit on some pillow all day long, right? I am a human. I am messy. It is actually the invitation to the mess. It's not perfectionism. It is not doing it all right. It is sitting in the discomfort and being with that as much as I celebrate being in comfort that I can have that polarity 
within me and fully accept it. Yeah. So interesting. You bring up perfectionism. Um, and I told you the other day how I won a handwriting contest when I was in the second grade. I just so vividly remember like being in second grade, having my books stacked so perfectly on the desk with the pencils right next to it, like crossing my legs ever so perfectly. And like, that was celebrated. And so was cleaning the windows so perfectly. Like that was celebrated, like all of the, that perfectionism that's definitely played out in adulthood and just being afraid of, of making a mess, being afraid of making a mistake and, and, and learning from that as well. It's almost like I was paralyzed whenever I did make a mistake. So, um, can you kind of speak to that and like perfectionism and like, is that an inner child wound? For sure. For sure. I mean, you could, you could say that just by listening to what you just described, right. That it's wounding to, to, um, cage children's imperfections to, to reject them, to shadow them, to put them, you know, anything that is messy. Perfectionism is, is not invitational though. Perfectionism is isolating because everybody who, who, who comes into contact with those exhibited qualities and doesn't see your human can't get with you because then their human is not invited or allowed. Perfectionism is not invitational. And so when, when, if I want to be in service to the world, I got to be just as human as every person I sit with every person. And when we look at perfectionism, it's such a joke. I mean, and I say that with, with all the kindness and like sweetness that I can muster, but, but we don't find three leaf clovers imperfect. They're just other clovers, right? We, we all want to search for the four leaf clover because we think it has some, some silly meaning, right? We don't look at a, at a bloom that has, uh, you know, one, one leaf going off of it in the, in the opposite direction as a failed plant. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a joke that we put so much pressure on ourselves, but what it comes from most often is somebody else's pain. Somebody else's lack of ability to hold their own mess. So seeing ours is too activating for them. And oftentimes it comes in the form of parents, overworked, exhausted, unavailable parents. Mm, This is hitting so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just trying to keep their own stuff together, right? No time for the mess. Yeah. And so in order to be loved, we have to, we have to fit what they need rather than who we are. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the invitation of that coming back in, you know, there's no such thing as a, as a perfect bubble, right? We talked about blowing bubbles. Every single one you blow is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. looking up at the clouds sorry looking up at the clouds go on right I could give you a million examples look up at the clouds find the perfect one from all the others yeah nature is supposed to you know she shows us all the time Mm -hmm. what a loving mother is Mm, she shows us all the time and it's turning that reflection one experience I had one deeply cathartic experience that I had in container with my own guide was because I want to plug that really quickly here. You're not supposed to do it all alone, right? That you get, get to get help. It's not, it's not invalidating to all the work you've done, 
to invite in a coach or a guide or a therapist, right? It's, it's the evidence and proof that you matter enough to get help to amplify the work. Just want to say that it's not, it's not bad or wrong. You know, it's not that you haven't done it right or are not doing enough. It's a common misconception. I don't need a coach. I've done all this work on my own, right? I know. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Um, but but sitting with with my guide and going in and recognizing that at a very like at a nursing age, right? Out of out of womb into earthside to breastfeeding, I learned as most humans do to lock in mother with who you lock in as as mother you know birth mother that's who we lock in to receiving from Mm -hmm. but what happens is the aperture closes around that face that human and unfortunately that uh that human might not have received what they needed to be able to give it to you Right? Yes. Or they overcompensate. You see that a lot. Oh, I had an amazing mom, but they overcompensate in every way because they didn't get it. So there's no room for messiness there either. Right? So, mm-hmm. so what we have to do in my experience and sitting with my guide was going into the room, seeing her being fed, but not attuned to not met in the ways that she needed and turning her little face to the entirety of the room of of ancestors and the lineage of divine feminines and and mother nature just outside the window that was i had i went into this meditative state i had this visual a visual i walked in i turned her little face and her eyes lit up because she could see more the aperture opened it wasn't just oh mother God. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that mother that could support her, that could hold her. And then I locked eyes with her and I was like, I've got you now. Mm. It gets me, you know, super emotional Yeah, that I got to save her, you know, yeah. and, and we get to do that work. I was so grateful that she showed me, mm-hmm. you know, that it was, that I was finally, I had earned enough uh, protection and safety and offering that, that I could go all the way back to that time and rewrite for her the ways that she could be resourced by mother. It's not just the one way that we are, that we are hardwired to receive Mm -hmm. because when that falls short, we're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We're not taught that not, not in our Western culture anyways. Right. Indigenous civilizations. Absolutely. You can go to any child can go to any mother in those civilizations it can it's taught to go to earth it's taught to go to mother nature it's taught to go to any any mother in community and be resourced we're not taught that not here i was um listening to a podcast episode i think the other day and how emotionally attuned children are with with younger like babies in different countries and how that just like like boy or girl like they just know how to speak mm-hmm. with a baby mm-hmm. and it's just so different what we are um being exampled for here in in the states mm-hmm. it's just like it's it's mind-boggling how crazy it that. is yeah. it is and i say mother but that doesn't mean woman mm-hmm right? There is a divine feminine and masculine in every being. Yes. 
Right? So it's, they go to mother, they go to who is nurturing. Mm. They go to who meets them, who holds them, that doesn't try to move past their actual feelings and experience. You know, this, the rites of initiation and passage in, in other cultures, we don't have that. In fact, we do the the opposite. We isolate. We we create these units that are small and and not cohesive, right? Like you mentioned, from the outside, you had this great thing, but there was no congruence with the emotional uh, connection and bonding that children need, yeah. that anyone needs, not just children, but but you know, children specifically. Mm-hmm where why do you think that is like here in the states is it just because the 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 structure that is like you know society and like how we're we're working women especially like we're working jobs for the first time like nine to five that is totally like in not in cyclical rhythm with one our menstrual cycles totally like just pushing and grinding and and so much of the doing um yeah like is that it? Like, it, do we just need well, to just exit the rat race and like? Yeah, totally. And <laughs> and you can look at you know anytime, and we could spend an entire podcast talking, unfolding, and 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 chipping away at how all of this started, where all of this started. But the the quick version is asking who benefits from it being this way. Those are the ones who started it and who continue to benefit from it, right? Who benefits from you? Um, committing to a nine to five job instead of living your dreams, you know, corporations, uh, industry, government, right? All of the things that were created to keep us in line, to Mm. keep us uniform, to keep us contained and controllable. Mm -hmm. And, And I won't even start to touch on race and inequality in that way. But just that simple question of where, who started this? Mm-hmm. Well, who still benefits from it? Mm-hmm. Who benefits from you falling in line rather than going your own way? I was talking to a family member the other day about intuition and spirituality. And there's this fear of like, I won't belong. I'll be excommunicated if they know that I have these gifts. And I was like, you know, the, that saying, that quote, right? We are the daughters of the witches they couldn't burn. Mm. And it is, it can be a burden to, to, to bear in some ways, to be different, to be fringe, to be an outlier, to not be accepted and to do it anyways. Yeah. And not conform. Yeah. Like the greatest act of defiance is going your own way. Yeah. And recognizing that there's a cost to that, right? We were talking earlier about, it's not that we can't do things. It's that we're unwilling to do the things with the level of discomfort doing them our own way might bring us. You can do it your way. And the price might be you're uncomfortable in it. Yeah. But what is that discomfort compared to the freedom and liberation of being in alignment with what is true for you and your gifts and right like it's it is it's and that we can go down a rabbit hole with each part of what i just said you know but it is taking a look at who benefits from me going to this job every day 
who benefits from me learning about school through a distorted lens that doesn't include bodies of culture? Who benefits from me paying what I pay for this, that, or the other thing? Mm -hmm. It's never us. It's never us. But we blindly do it because we are hardwired that if we don't belong to community, that we could die. But now, now with especially, and, and I'm not a huge proponent for like social media, but the fact that we have it, we can find our people a lot easier. We Love can find idea. other outliers. We can find our band of misfits. Yeah. I had a, um, something come up for me last night as I was on social media. I was like, this is so weird. It's so weird that I can see all of these people in this world who I would never, ever meet before. And we're all just here on this thing, like on this screen, this small, like Mm -hmm. whatever, five inch screen. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, whoa, like that's Mm -hmm. really wild and intense. And sometimes, yeah, I just want to like up and quit Instagram, but then I'm like, but there are like benefits to it, like where I, I do feel more in community with people who are, for lack of a better term, like going against the grain of what is what is mainstream, because there are moments in my reality where I live, where I feel like a burden and I feel like the black sheep and I feel like the, the oddball and that, you know, I feel like the weird one <laughs> sometimes. And um, it is very isolating sometimes. And something, something I always speak of with my clients is, um, having community and, and being around people who are moving through similar paths, because if we feel isolated alone, like that psychological stress in and of itself is so discouraging and and defeating sometimes. And, you know, when I'm working with women on their health, like that's, that's the last thing that we want to add into the stress bucket. Yeah. And so we need community and we need people. We need humans. It we is. Need- yeah. It's, it's yeah. so important. It's so important. You're, you're so right about that. And it is, it comes back to intention, right? Like um, it, it can only be bad. We can only take bad away if we're not in a line with our intentions. If my intention is not clear when I get on Instagram, I'm gonna get what I get. Yeah. But if my intention is to connect with people who light me up or, or challenge me, right? I'm not saying just pick all fluff and, and rainbows and all that other stuff, but people that make me think, people that challenge me, people that maybe have opposing views to me so that I can see all perspectives so that I can widen my aperture, you know? So true. And, and that belonging is so necessary, but we also have to remember that it's, we have to, to equally uh, take responsibility of our nervous systems because they were not designed to take on that much energy from other beings. We're supposed to have interactions with no more than a hundred people per day, go on Instagram. It's a hundred people in a minute, you know, so, or Facebook or Facebook's way worse. I don't even, (laughs) me neither. No, thank you. No, thank you. Um, but you know, it's, it's tempering that in our bodies regulating the nervous system, doing, meeting our needs and what we need, if we're going to have that 
overstimulation. You don't get to go in and scroll and then just randomly throw the, the phone down and think that you're okay. You got to check that. You got to say, where is my body? Where is my heart in this right now? Am I feeling defeated? Am I feeling like not enoughness? Am I feeling in comparison? Am I feeling uplifted? Mm -hmm. You know, because any of those elicitations in the body require our attention. And we just move on past like something didn't just happen. Yeah, I haven't thought about it that way. Just took on a hundred people. Yeah. How's your energy after that? Yeah. How does your body feel? You know? And last night, what came to me um, was this idea of being in a frozen state when we are constantly scrolling on our phones. And sometimes the body's like, okay, I'm done. Like, you know, I need to get off of this. But sometimes my mind will hijack that experience and say, no, not yet. And just like, mm-hmm. it's almost like, I would be bored if I'm not on here. And so it's almost like an attempt for safety too, like continuing the scroll, right? From the mind's point of view. Yes. From the mind's point of view, that's, that might be a safer thing than to actually feel. Yeah. But the body is designed to process at a rapid tick. It is alert life, birth, death cycle all the time. You know, every, every experience we have, that part of us no longer exists anymore. It's gone. So it's a death and a rebirth, just like looking at a fire or a candle. It is a constant, uh, extinguish and relight every second, you know? So, so looking at it from that lens of why does the, again, who benefits, right? The parts of the mind that are already frozen, the the trapped and stored emotion the unhealed ruptures from from our and not just childhood like that's of course a ton of it hinges on the most fertile like we're like i can't even remember the numbers now but it's like 96 billion um um neurotransmitters are created right in like in in gestation while you're in utero you know like the formation of the brain is so expansive. And then it starts to taper off after like seven, 10, 15 years old. Right. And then different parts are, are, are more hardwired, the more repetition we have, things like that. So the brain, uh, is working in, in the desire for survival and emotions that feel heavy or overwhelming, get shut down they get numbed out. So that cycle continues to benefit from being frozen from being stuck from from numbing out or avoiding it is absolutely no different than getting satiation from any other other vice mm-hmm. now i'm not going to sit here and compare scrolling to doing meth mm-hmm. right there's obviously a difference there mm-hmm. but the desire behind each of them is very similar and mm-hmm. when you there is not once like Gabor Mate is like there is no addiction without trauma. Yeah. There is no addiction without trauma. So to get underneath the addiction and move through that, it's meeting your trauma. Mm-hmm. What happened to you, not what you do as a result of it. Yeah, and that's how what, we stop what is the addiction. Yeah. And it's, you can slowly start to walk about it. This is an oversimplification of it. And I am not talking about like, like 
hard addiction, but, but we can start to like, what happened right before I felt the need to scroll? What was the day before leading up to me waking up with the desire to stay in bed all day? Right. What were the events that led up? So it's like walking it back so that you can find the, the stress points where the, the mind takes over and says no more. We need this relief now because this happened. And oftentimes, you know, we'll work with people and they're like, why am I reacting like a five-year-old? I'm like, well, it's probably the last place that you healed. You will respond in the way where you find yourself like throwing a temper tantrum and you're like, I am 20, 30, 40 years old. Why am I acting like this? Because your three, four, six-year-old didn't get to release that. It's an unhealed place that you are reacting from. Yeah. So that's a trauma response. And basically when we continue to suppress our emotions, like that just gets stored in the body and it continues to get activated again. Right. Because the reason it, it, the reason it is stored, the reason it is unhealed is because it got suppressed back then. So you're by way recreating the same traumatization over and over and over again by not processing it, by not healing it. Yeah. And this isn't, this isn't a snap of the fingers. This isn't a one session. This isn't a, I'm going to go do breath work and a sound healing and I'm going to be good. This is years of work. Yeah. It's years of being in the, the, the stuck and the yuck and the discomfort and it can feel exhausting, but the worst day of my healing will always be better than my best day of monotony and avoidance and numbing and whatever. Now there's some people, right? I saw a great like video the other day. It was so funny where a guy's like got his hand on his chest and he's like, I'd like to go back to being unaware. I know I asked for my consciousness to be enlightened, but I take it back. <laughs> Is there a, ref- a refund policy on this, right? And it was just hilarious because it's so, like when, when you when start the work, that's it. You can't unsee, you can't unfeel, you can't unlearn. Yeah. And, and those hard days are still better than living out your existence unaligned, not with your gifts, not in self-service, not in well-being. Yeah. Right. The act of moving towards well-being is better than pretending it doesn't exist or it's as good as it gets. I have literally had moments where I'm like, I, I wish I just didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could just go back and yeah. just, I, everything would be fine. Like I, if I didn't know so much, like. I always say it, that Jim Carrey movie, that eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, where they just go in with a little like magic eraser, little, little <laughs> scrubber to certain memories, right. Just alleviate you from that altogether. And those are the exact ones that, that forged you. You know, those are the exact ones that give you the possibility to create from now. Mm-hmm. to do something different, to not pass it down again and again and again, but to do something to hold it. And my post yesterday was about cycle breakers, mm-hmm. you know, the weight that the weight that you carry until somebody points it out, that the reason you're carrying it is because you were the one refusing to give it to somebody else. And I'm not saying that there's a reason we have to suffer, right? Like, I don't believe in that. Like, oh, it's just, this is your lesson. This is your burden to bear. But it's that, that, that meaning-making part of it, right? Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. If we understand the burden that we are carrying, it makes it not hard to carry. The idea of carrying the weight of generational trauma feels like death 
until I recognize that I can hold it and not give it to my child. Yeah. I would do it again every day. Oof, that work is so powerful. I saw a quote the other day. It's like, if trauma can be passed down, so can healing. That, yeah. That's, I say it all the time. That's the, <laughs> like, if you're going to pass down your pain, you can pass down your resilience. Oh, which which yeah. are you choosing to give? Yeah. I love that. It's, it's so important. That's it's a lot of the work that I do with, with women who are trying to conceive. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, we work on the nutrition front. Um, we make sure they're getting all the good foods and all of that stuff. And I'm like, you know, there's, there's so much more to unpack there. And for, for totally. I mean, for mom and dad and, you know, couples in general, like just everyone involved. And there's also like, um, healing for your lineage too, right? Like last night I did a shaking practice and I was releasing not only things that I carried, but like same for my mom and my grandmother, like that is still very much alive in them. But absolutely. And if it's alive in them, it's alive in you. Epigenetics say it spans three generations because your egg was in your mother while she was in your grandmother. So you were exposed to everything that, that they've experienced everything. And that's just like the scientific part of it, let alone like the energetics and the, you know, like ancestral trauma where we carry you know, 17 generations back, you know, so it's beautiful. And I'm so glad that you are including this, that, that there is like, yes, there are biological, physical things happening that we can fix and adjust. And it goes, there's more and being open to all of that. Because I imagine, for example, somebody that can't conceive who does those things and they do all the right things and it still doesn't happen for them. What's wrong with me? I'm broken, right? And it could be just as simple as releasing trauma from their body, who knows? So bringing that in as an offering to complete the the human clearing, conditioning, you know. Yeah. all yeah. of those things. I love that you said that. I'm usually working with the woman who was myself, who was myself years ago, where I had been doing all of the right things, all of the right things, like perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I started uncovering all of these things, you know, with my parents' separation, I started learning so much, and I was like this all makes sense now. And I was, I was really grateful for learning all those things, although they were heavy. I was like, this all makes sense now. And and now I, I get to do this work. I choose to do this work. This work holds a lot of meaning in my life. And, um, it's not a, yeah, like you said, it's not a, a one and done thing. It's a, for me, it's a forever thing. Yeah. And, and what you're speaking to there, another, another, quote I, I offer is, is if, if that pain can be triggered, then so can joy. Mm. If pain can be activated in the body, then so can peace. Yeah. Right. And that's what you found, right? Like that, that pain body is triggered by all of those things, but then also there's a liberation from them by way. Huge. Peace. Huge. Yeah. I think I mean, we carry all the the wide range of the human experience, like all the human emotions within us. And I think that we get to choose which one we get to tune into, right? Like we have access. I mean, we were designed with all of these things to, to say that we aren't supposed to have some of them is just silly. 
you know, like it's like slapping God in her face to say, oh yeah, I, I mean, I have this one called grief, but I'm, I'm a pass on that one, <laughs> right? Because what you're giving up when you give up grief is love. They don't work individually. And so while I get what you're saying, but I don't think that we, I don't think we have control over what is, what is evoked within us. I think we have uh, skills and tools and, and capacity and possibility to move through them, whether they feel good or bad, quote unquote. You know, it was really life-changing for me when we first started working together is sitting beside the grief and nourishing it, sitting beside the pain and nourishing it, like really shifting that relationship we have to those emotions that are like less enjoyable and less lighter, like more heavy emotions. And that just really changed it because what used to happen to me was I, I used to identify so um, closely with those emotions so much that they would collapse onto me. And then, yeah, there was immobilization or there was, um, I don't know, just like, uh, a strong desire to exit that emotion, but it's like, I can't escape it. I can't escape it. Like it's, it's here. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to feel that. And so a constant, like running away from it, but sitting beside it, like imagining myself, like sitting beside it and just like, almost giving it like just a tender pat and noticing that it's beautiful to watch you process specifically and because you brought it up I can speak to that right watching you process that and hold it as if you were holding the grief of of another right that it wasn't like you weren't enmeshed with the grief but that you could simultaneously shed tears for your grief and extend love to it at the same time I am loving towards this grief that, that dwells within me, that kind of a thing and watching you process that and shed it as an identity of if this, if I, if I open this, I have to wear it forever, you know, to let that go in some ways to release it a little bit, befriend it even because there is, there is no love without grief and there's no grief without love. They just don't, they, they don't exist without the other. So yeah, watching you process that as you have, and you still are on such a beautiful journey to unpacking and unfolding and, and, and we all are right. Myself included. Right. But just being witness to that has been a real privilege. Thank you. I I feel like it's, like I said, I mean, it's a forever thing. I feel like I've been ever since I was a little girl, I was I just always felt anxious and I felt like, and, and what you said to me yesterday, like historically I have this, um, tendency to, or had this tendency to, right. Where I lacked like social engagement skills and I was the shy little girl. And I feel like that she was holding so much in. So I feel like there's still a lot of processing, still a lot of moving through, but on the other side of that, like you said, lies liberation and and freedom. And I already feel that way too. It's not like I'm waiting like for that day. Like I I feel that with each release, like earlier today, I was crying. I I felt liberation on the other side of that too. And now she has you and you have her, right? The, The things that get blocked in us, those little parts of us still hold. 
they're not completely gone from us, right? I said the other day, like these things are still inherently within us. It's just the blocks that society has put between us and our true nature. Yeah. And who we actually are. So as we connect and release, we also reclaim the parts of us that have been admonished or not allowed, you know, being a little messy. And I don't mean like trash your house. I mean, like as a human, I screw up. Mm -hmm. I'm messy. I say the wrong thing. I forget mm-hmm. to ask the right question. You know, I don't, I don't consider somebody else. I don't make the right moves. I minimize my own feelings, you know, that we get to do that, but, but that we also get to remember and reclaim those parts of us. But right before the trauma happened, right before the thing uh, stressed or overwhelmed us, right before all of those things, we, we get to go in and push that out and get who we were back. And it makes us more complete whole humans. And then the path unfolds so naturally. The next step is obvious. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, so much. So much I, density, right? I know. So much. It's so good, though. It's so juicy. Oh, man. I, that's my prayer for this world is that we all choose to do this work. Um, something I've never asked you is like, what do you do to care for yourself? I don't want to call it like self-care, but I mean, yeah, it's yeah like what's, what's your nourishment? Um, I, we probably don't have time left in this thing to go over all the things. Um, <laughs> I would say first and foremost is a constant, like not even just daily, but I am connected and, and committed to the connection of all parts of myself. It is all allowed everything like i'll get off and i'll be like annoyed and like you shouldn't be annoyed by that person you should have more compassion or and it still gets to be here right there's like this constant being with myself like i get tired of myself because i'm always with myself right like like i i'm i am obsessed with myself you know (laughs) like that in that way um but really really just tuning in all the time i am so sometimes i call it like a living meditation like i'm i'm often in not in up and out of my body but down and into my body to be so with it all the time and like very aware of every experience and what happens and right i had a conversation with somebody earlier and they they had a request of me and anytime somebody makes a request we're like of course i want to do that but there's like a little part of you that feels like oh i did that wrong I didn't get it right. They had to request something. All right. And so this wave of like shame comes over and my body heats up and it's like, oh, I hate that I did this wrong. And then I was able to move past it. Right. You didn't do it wrong, honey. Like that was okay. You just get to fix it now. You are, you are the, the person that somebody can ask and request of rather than just making themselves smaller to accommodate you. How precious is that? Right. But that transition used to take days where I'd be buried in the shame for, for a week before I'd come to that release or whatever, but, but staying with it, constantly checking. Um, I breathe, I meditate, I read, I, I get held, I get support, right? I have coaches, I have guides. I have, I have a support, like the, fr- the friendships that I have cast this wide net of, I had to let go of a lot mm. to let it come in. So there was a lot of time where I was uncertain that I would be able to call it back in. And then, you know, these, these like bountiful relationships have poured into my life. So full, so rich that, that can hold me, um, uh, you know, really doing, doing the work. I, I have a practice like 
for whatever reason, being in a hammock feels very nurturing yes. to me. So wherever I go, if I'm staying for a long period of time, I make sure that I have, I feel like a camp hammock I carry everywhere with me, but I also have like a, a setup at, at my home base and where I stay. And um, when I'm visiting people, I'll use theirs. Um, just to go and hang, to be held fully supported in like this kind of cocoon like sensation, very nurturing. That's something that's a staple requirement for me. I put my feet on the earth every day, um, making sure that I am, I, I used to have a really hard time with like just gratitude lists or whatever, because there was a part of me that like feeling forced to feel grateful, you know, it, it took me back to times when I was told, oh, go give them a hug or a kiss, be thankful for your gift, all those like forced interactions of gratitude that that felt unsafe to me. Um, but but being grateful for my ability to be like take up my own space and, and gratitude for this heart of mine and, and the internalization of gratitude, Mother Earth. Um, sitting on her, I, I play, I play. It's a requirement. It's just as necessary as rest psychologically, physically, spiritually, emotionally that we play and rest all the time. Permission to cancel, permission to say no, permission, you know, those are all acts of, of radical self-care for me. Uh, I'm going to go buy a hammock now. <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. That's where I do a lot of my grief work too, because I feel physically held while I'm doing that. I don't have to hold myself in the container while I'm doing the work that I can just pull myself into it and, and feel fully supported. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like I, I love hammocks and I haven't had the space for it, but I'm actually moving next weekend and I do. So I'm Yay. really excited. <laughs> right. Oh, Tracy, thank you so much for your wisdom. I really enjoyed this conversation. Where can everyone find you? Um, either Instagram or my, my website, uncontrollablyme.com. The Instagram handle is at uncontrollably underscore me. Uh, I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes. I probably didn't have to <laughs> out there, right? Uh, um, and um, yeah, a couple exciting things uh, coming up. Um, I take one-on-one -on -one people. I do uh, the different offerings of breathwork. I have a retreat coming up in Zion in May that's going to be really just transformational and, and magical and um, awakening, you know, those different parts of us. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. You know, I'm, I'm around, I love getting, getting notes dropped in or, or tagged in things that people find that they yeah. like of mine or that they heard or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah, just, just find me on the, on, on the, the interwebs. I will link all of those. I also link um, the book that you mentioned, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, um, and any other resources it's, that we mentioned. It's a staple for sure around grief work. I mean, anything Francis Weller is, is like he is a, a wise elder. I heard of him. Okay. Uh, it absolutely fundamental. When, when I think of who I'm becoming as an ancestor, he's somebody I look up to for sure how he moves in the world and that's one of many i mean i could list off a hundred you don't have enough show notes for it but, but find yourself elders that that have done the work you know stephen jenkinson's another one that i that i encourage he's a grief walker um that he uh, really i mean it's sometimes a harsh listen 
but much needed too. Uh, yeah, all of that is really yeah. important work for sure. Yeah. Okie doke. Thank you so much, Tracy. Until next time, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If the episode resonated with you, feel free to share it with a friend and give the podcast a five-star review and rating as this allows us to grow and continue having incredible guests on the show. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time.